And this morning, before we start the worship songs, I want to tell you just a little... You can go ahead and stand up. Uh, I want to tell you something that's going to be a little different because I don't want to freak you out. Uh, In just a few moments on the screen at various parts in the service today, you're going to see words from God. But you're going to see words from God in three different religious traditions. And we'll end with our tradition at the end. But uh, this sermon's been planned a long time. And just this week, there was a lot of social media attention given around the Muslim call to prayer at Duke Chapel, etc. So I want to let you know that this, they actually ironically uh, come together this morning But this message was planned before all that happened. But I want you to look at all the parts of worship this morning with a very open mind. And we are going to look at God and violence in the Bible. And so as we worship together and as you worship with us online, I just want to let you know that all the worship service today comes together to make one point. And so just uh, let us enter into a time of prayer and meditation as we enter into our worship songs, and prepare for the message today. Conquer your enemies and enjoy a prosperous kingdom. All those warriors who have already been destroyed by me, you are only an instrument. O Arjuna, I will cast terror into the hearts of those who disbelieve. Therefore, strike off their heads and strike off every fingertip of them. However, in the cities of your nations, the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Do not leave anything that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. So those words are from the book of Deuteronomy. They're contained in the Old Testament, which we call Holy Sacred Scripture. Did you notice all those different groups of people that the Lord God commanded be completely, completely wiped out? We say that we hold Scripture to be the divine, sacred Word of God. When we write the word Scripture, we capitalize the S, the Holy Bible. It's something we, as followers of Christ, cling to as our word from God. Yet there are parts and pieces that are contained therein that we struggle with, we wrestle with. And this morning, the passage that you read just now, the passage from Deuteronomy, that's one of them. Or do we struggle with it? I mean, have you read the passages in the Old Testament and thought, this makes absolutely no sense. How can God, a God of love and a God of grace, command people to just kill people? Or is this just the only time that happens? 
You know, the Old Testament contains several thousand different verses. Over 300 of them are pretty similar to the one that you just heard. In fact, I want to tell you at the beginning all the different ways that God is violent in the Old Testament. There's a reason that we're going over this today. This is one of the parts and pieces of the Bible being the divine inspired word of God that people struggle with. This is another reason that people just throw out scripture altogether and say they don't need it. It has no relevance. How can God want to wipe out people and then we're supposed to worship that God? Because for us, that does not make sense. Killing entire cities and groups of people and nationalities. Isn't that what we're reacting against in our nation today? And then... We also sometimes really do want to understand the nature of God and what it means for us. And how do we do that? How can we love a God that killed people or said to kill people? So I want to, if you've not ever wrestled with this this morning, and perhaps you've just read those passages like I did growing up, and until till recently, honestly, and just thought, oh, okay, well, that's the way it was. That's what God said. That's what God wanted to have happen. If that's where you have come at these passages, then that's, that's fine. This morning, as I shared a little bit earlier, I want us to look at it and perhaps be willing to just approach it with no, no conclusion already in our minds and, and be willing to be stretched and, and pulled just a little so that maybe when we leave this place today, this passage that you just saw and read has some relevance. There's three different ways that God is violent in the Old Testament. The one that you just saw, the wipe out entire groups of people as you inhabit the land that I've promised you. That was their understanding of what God wanted. Then uh, there's some other things called the law or the laws of Moses. Moses was the man who led them, the people, the chosen people, God's people, God's children, out of slavery, out of captivity, into freedom. And the people were wandering on their journey so that they could get to the promised land. And while they were doing that, you know, they needed some organization. Every movement needs some structure around it. And so Moses helped them get some structure. He put some, some rules from God. Now, I want to share with you those rules. We, we refer to them as the Ten Commandments, and those are not the ones specifically I'm going to talk about today. But I want to ask us to think about what the punishment was if the rules were broken. Now, think about your own life growing up. Were there ramifications if you broke the rules of your parents? Were they... Very specific or just sort of nebulous? Perhaps it depends on the generation in which you grew up. But um, if you're willing to share this information with me this morning, a clap if you've ever been spanked. And uh, not in light of Fifty Shades of Grey that's coming out. I probably should have prefaced with that. But that was a very big... See, some of you got that. Thank you. 
Oh, scandalous. I wanted to make sure you're awake this morning. I mean, really, that's about the only funny thing I've gotten the whole message. I'll let you know. You see, there's nothing really funny about this message. There are no jokes in it because it's very, very serious. When, when people disobeyed God, there were severe ramifications for their actions. I grew up in a time when time out, you put your kid or your child in time out, that did not exist at all. In fact, a spanking is what you got. Uh, paddling at school back in those days, uh, it was not uncommon to be called to the principal's office. And, you know, you didn't have to have mom or dad come down and stand while you got paddled for misbehaving. Now, even as I describe that, that's foreign for many today. Corporal punishment in schools, not really used much anymore. But there's a difference between corporal punishment in schools and capital punishment in our nation. That is something that is still practiced, and it's actually based on Scripture. One nation founded under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And as a nation, we imparted a punishment on people, capital punishment. If you did certain crimes, you were put to death. You are put to death in some states. That's biblical. I want you to think about these things for just a second. Ask yourself if you've ever committed one of these sins or breaking these laws. And these laws, I thought about putting them up on the screen, but I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. But this week, during the various devotions that you'll start getting, uh, you'll see the scripture references for these. Have you ever rebelled against your parents? I don't care how old you are. I mean, think back and think about your parents told you to do something or not to do something, and you did the opposite. Have you ever done that? Yeah. Have you ever cursed your parents? And I don't necessarily mean like bad words, but, you know, just sort of mumbled under your breath and, you know, rolled your eyes. Ever done that? Yeah. Me too. How about worked on the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a day of rest, traced back to the writings and the stories of Genesis. The people... On the seventh day, God rested after creation had been created. So the people of God on the seventh day, one of the Ten Commandments was to rest. How many of you have ever not rested on the Sabbath day? Mowed your grass on Sunday? Vacuumed? Preached? been a nurse and worked at a hospital, worked at a grocery store, any retail in our world today, do any of those things? You broke the Sabbath. I break the Sabbath every week. That's why I'm supposed to have a separate day. And on that day, my Sabbath, if I'm true to Scripture, I should do nothing. Nothing not go shopping, etc., not cook, nothing. The Sabbath was holy. 
we break the Sabbath in our culture, it's consistent. Do we put people to death for that? Do we kill our children when they curse us? Were we killed when we rebelled against our parents? No. I mean, those statements seem ludicrous. It's scriptural. All the things that I said to you just now in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, it's there. Capital punishment for breaking the law. That's one kind of violence in Scripture. The second kind of violence that God would enact on the people, we see when Moses, after he led them out of slavery and captivity, they received the Ten Commandments, the guide from God. And then Moses, as their leader, their spiritual leader, was connecting with God. So he went on top of this mountain, Mount Sinai, And while he was up there, he was gone for over 30 days and and 30 nights. Now, the people that had followed him, you know, keep in mind, they had been in captivity and slavery, and then they were free. They're in the wilderness. Their leader goes away. They're hanging out, wondering when their leader might come back. And I want you to remember one more thing about the people that had been enslaved and then came out of captivity following Moses. The idea of God was not new to Abraham and then Moses and the forefathers that we read about in the Old Testament. Gods existed long before the story of the Israelite people. But there's a difference. Gods, multiple gods existed. The Hindu religion, one of the scripture passages that you saw, their scripture this morning, they had been around for for years. And they worshipped God. God was embodied for them in animate Objects. Cows were gods. Metal ornate objects were gods. There were lots and lots and lots of different gods. But they worshipped those gods and they tried to be true to them. And so when the Israelite people had been following Moses out of slavery... And they were in the wilderness and Moses went to encounter Yahweh, one God, as revealed to them by Abraham when he came and said, I have encountered one God and this God has called me to leave my land and and go and establish a new nation, one God. The people that followed Moses They adhered to that idea. They bought it. They went along with this this one God, not in multiple different images and all those things. They got it. But then something happened. I want you to listen to this 
a brief passage from Exodus 32. This is when Moses is up with God on Mount Sinai and he's spending time there. The people realized that Moses was taking a long time to return from his trek up the mountain. So they got together and they approached Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother who helped in leading the people. Now this is what the people said to Aaron. We have no idea what has happened to this fellow Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt. He left you in charge. So get up and make us gods who will lead from here. And then Aaron said, Well, bring me the gold earrings that your wives, sons, and daughters are wearing. So everyone took out their gold earrings and handed them over to Aaron. He collected the gold they brought and used a tool to fashion an idol in the shape of a calf. When the people saw the calf Aaron made, they were elated. Israel, these are your gods, the ones who led you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw how the people responded, he built an altar in front of the golden calf. And then Aaron said, we're going to have a feast to the eternal tomorrow. Everyone woke up before dawn the next day and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar. When the food was ready, they sat down to eat and drink and then rose up to dance and play. Meanwhile, God on the mountain, starts speaking to Moses. And this is what the rest of that chapter says. Moses, your people, the people, my people, that you've led out of slavery and you told them to worship me, one God. They've built idols. They've made a golden calf. What's up with that? They have turned exactly the opposite way. I'm going to wipe them all out. All of them. I will kill them. Because how dare they turn against me. And then Moses begs God, God, don't do that. God, give them one more chance. Don't turn your back on them. Don't don't kill them. Love them. Now, that's the second example of violence of God. God, God, Yahweh, wants to kill all the people because they forgot that they should only be worshiping one God and they were worshiping God in the way that they knew how, through golden calves and other ornate objects. The third and final example that I'm going to share with you this morning about a God of violence is later on, we see Joshua, who led after Moses the people into the promised land. 
It's a story if you went to Sunday school growing up, you may have heard about it or vacation Bible school, Joshua and the battle of Jericho and he would lead the people around the walls of the city and then all of a sudden the walls would come tumbling down. Well, guess what happened when the walls came tumbling down? You read that in the verse that uh, we heard earlier this morning. All of the groups of people, 32 different cities were wiped out Absolutely, totally, completely. Because God said to. God told Joshua to go kill absolutely everyone that already lived in the promised land. That already lived there. Back in January of last year, I went to the Holy Land. I will confess to you that I knew very, very, very little about the conflict between Israel and Palestine. But as you drove through the streets of Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and as you watched the people that inhabited the land every time a helicopter would fly over our guide and the people that were there at whatever area in the Holy Land we were in, they would stop, they would freeze, and they would stare to see if maybe the helicopter that was flying over or the airplane that was flying over was getting ready to drop a bomb. There was one time in particular I remember being a little afraid. I'd seen on the news that morning before we left to go out near the Sea of Galilee, which is the closest that we got to the Gaza Strip, you could see right over into the enemy land and see the fences and the guards with their machine guns right there. I'll never forget that day. There were several planes that kept flying back and forth, back and forth. Our guide and the other people that were there became very hushed. It was uncomfortable. They kill each other there all the time in the name of God over land and it goes back to the passage that I shared with you this morning Deuteronomy when you go in the land I want you to kill everybody take them all out in my name so you can have what's been promised to you that is a difficult God to reconcile That is a God that honestly makes people turn away from religion. It makes people discard the Holy Bible. But I want to point out a different way of looking at it. You see, I think right here is honestly the most beautiful, beautiful picture and way of how we can live our lives, even with verses in it that talk about taking out entire groups of people. This defines who I want to be. This defines who I think we're called to be. And I think you can reconcile all those things that I just told you about, a God who tells them to kill people if they curse their parents a God who tells them to wipe out entire groups of people or a God that inflicted pain on people and killed 70,000 people 
because King David did a census that God didn't want to have happen. I believe there's a way to understand that God and hold true to this being how we're called to live. And that's why we're doing this whole message series, making sense of the Bible. You can do a couple of things. You can look at these passages and just say, well, that's absolutely something I don't understand, but I believe that every word in there is true, and so I must, it must be true, and I just don't need to worry about it, and then turn the other way. I don't think that's really what we're called to do. I think we're called to look at the words that are contained therein. All those passages about God being violent and God wiping out humanity. And I think we are called to understand it and try to interpret it in the way that it was written. Have you ever thought about how the Bible came into being? It was not just one person that sat and wrote the whole thing, first of all. It's a bunch of different people. But honestly, what we have was compiled not only by certain individuals, but then by people who translated what those individuals said. And then other parts and pieces are oral stories. They would be like a a bedtime story for the people of Israel, and they would tell them generation after generation after generation after generation until finally someone wrote it down. I think growing up I had such a naive view of God and such a naive view of faith. I think I just pictured that like God wrote it all. Maybe like this divine big hand, you know, just stamped the paper much like we read the Ten Commandments. If you read the stories, though, that are contained in the Old Testament, you will see that there are times that the authors say And then God commanded me, or God said to me. And they are sharing their actions and what they are and why they are with whomever as they interpreted them in their very human way. And so we have a a great, a great picture of how people encountered God in the culture that they lived in. The reason that I had Allah, the words of Allah read today, and then also the words of the Hindu God, was to show you that back when this was written, when the Old Testament was written, the books that were written in the Old Testament, the culture was that every spring The kings would lead their people into war. It's just what you did. Sort of like at Thanksgiving, we gather together and we all eat a turkey or ham. It's our tradition. It's our culture as a nation. Well, back then, every spring, their culture and tradition was not to sit around this nice, beautiful Norman Rockwell picture. They went to war. Not just the people of Israel, but all the people. The Greco-Roman world, their gods led them into war, told them to go into war. And this is historically actually accurate. Archaeological finds have different writings from different time periods and different kings. And some of them say, now go, lead your people, kill 
group A, B, or C. It was what they did back then. So my challenge for us today, and my, my ask, is that we would perhaps take some steps back, look at these passages, and understand that they were written in the context of their time. It was not uncommon to just go kill entire groups of people. But do you know that today in our world, when we go kill entire groups of people, and not just the soldiers that are fighting on the opposite side, but we wipe out the women and the children too, that, my friends, is called genocide. And it is a crime punishable in our world today. In the scripture, it was a norm, not an exception. That's what they lived in. It's how they understood it. And a couple of thousands of years later, we get to see a bigger picture. And the best way that we get to see it is through the person of Jesus God in flesh, God incarnate, Jesus who came, the word of God, his very life was the word of God. And so I say it all the time, and, and I apologize if you get tired of it, but I believe that we're called to share a message that's a little bigger than just what the few folks that worship here understand. I don't care if you don't buy the whole virgin birth thing. I don't care if you don't buy the resurrection, the physical resurrection story. But I do care that as a nation and as a world, we look at the way he lived his life. Because I personally do think that there are great truths in those two stories. But even if you don't, look at the big picture. Look at how he lived his life saying, I come to show you God. I come to give you a glimpse into the very divine nature and character of God. You want to know God? You don't need a golden calf. You don't need a piece of tin hanging in a tree. You want to know God? You know me. And how did he live? He lived in love. And he lived saying, you turn the other cheek. And you love those who hate you. That's Jesus. And that's our picture of God. So every one of the verses that we read, you know, kill the people who do not observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Kill them. Take them out. We look at that through the eyes and the life of Jesus. Does it make sense to kill people who don't honor the Sabbath? No. So what does it mean? It means that we should have a day that God, the divine love, the divine energy, God, God wants us to have a day that we, that we focus inward on the spirit of God that lives in each of us because that, that spirit, that presence, that power, that energy, that's what carries us through every day, through the good, through the bad. That's why we need a Sabbath. Everything that we read in Scripture, we should interpret through the eyes and the lens of Jesus. And so that brings me to my end point. I had absolutely no intentions whatsoever of mentioning 
the Muslim call to prayer in Duke University Chapel. First of all, I feel like my life as a pastor is controversial enough. I don't need to like dig up things so I could like bring them to your attention. But I need to share with you that uh, I just think there's some divine irony right now that this weekend that's been planned for a year, this message series has been planned since last January. We were going to talk about the violent nature of God and how do we reconcile that with our faith based on Adam Hamilton's book, Making Sense of the Bible. And we have small groups uh, that would love to have you come be a part of this. One happens after worship today to talk about this more. But you see, this past week, Duke University, which is a Methodist seminary, was going to open Duke Chapel And let the Muslim faith have a call to prayer. Now, I will confess to you that I was in school this week in D.C. and uh, totally redoing my whole doctorate dissertation project proposal. So I have not read all the publicity around it. And I do not know what Franklin Graham said. All I saw was an article and the name Franklin Graham. And then I saw a bunch of preacher friends that I know writing about it on Facebook. I read a few of their blogs, and then I shut it and thought, I would, I'm not about to put that out there. I don't know right or wrong. But you see, um, there's another thing we honor this weekend. It's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. You know, that's a new holiday in our world, and it's a holiday that a lot of times uh, people make fun of. Why do we have another holiday just for some man? That's stupid. That's prejudice and bigotry. Because you see, Martin Luther King Jr. led a revolution. He was radical. And he led our nation to quit doing things like wiping out groups of people because they were a little different. Remember the Ku Klux Klan? Do you remember what they did They killed people in the name of God and white supremacy because, you know, because of the color of their skin, they were different. They were lesser than in the name of God. You know, I know that a couple of weeks ago, the whole world watched as radical people of their faith tradition killed innocent people in Paris, France. In the name of their God. And I know that that is wrong. It's abhorrible. I know that that happens every day in different parts of our world. In the name of God, people kill people. I know that in just, uh, you know, several decades ago, we did it right here in our nation. Because we didn't see all as equal. This message today is a call for us to be a people of worshiping God, the God of Holy Scripture, as seen through Jesus Christ. And it means that sometimes we have to be uncomfortable. And it means sometimes when people are different than we are, instead of judging and instead of turning away, that we open ourselves to love Even if it cost us something, it cost Jesus everything. We're called to follow him.
So this morning, wherever you are with the God of violence in the Old Testament, I would ask that maybe we look at it in a bigger way and that we see that the people understood God back then to, to do things like wipe out people or punish by death when they erred or were wrong. But then I want us to look at how God revealed God's self to humanity through the person of Jesus Christ. And every time we try to make a decision about something like uh, what we're going to do when there's social media everywhere about things like a Muslim call to prayer in a Duke University chapel, or what we're going to do when people sit around our tables and say things like, well, I never thought I'd live to see a black president. I heard that not too long ago, actually. They weren't, like, in favor of it either, by the way. I spoke up that day. I'm not sure I was real popular after I did, but uh, you know what? Regardless of your political affiliation, we should never care who takes an office because of the color of their skin, ever. Folks, we're called to turn eyes of love toward all people. And it's how we're called to live. In order to do that, we have to start internally with our own hearts. And so this morning, as we close our service today, I would ask that you just sit and you look inward at your heart right now. Don't worry about anybody else's but yours. And ask God how you can live a life of love and a life of hope for people in all ways and places and races and all the other ways we stereotype people. Ask God to reveal God's self to you. Let us pray. You know, we don't worship a God that sits up in heaven on some big chair with a long white beard and is looking down on earth like it's a crystal ball and picking out people to zap. That's not God. That is not how people understood God 4,000 years ago. They, they didn't understand God the way that we do now. One of my best friends in my D-Men program, she's an African-American pastor in Washington, D.C. She serves a two-point charge. One is the oldest African-American congregation there in Georgetown, and the other is a Caucasian congregation in Maryland. On her first Sunday, just two years ago, as she stepped into the pulpit, and that's like this big wooden thing that's up on the stage area. I realize we don't all know what that is. As she stepped up there to preach, uh, this was her first Sunday And it was the first time that the white church had a black pastor. The other church, uh, Mount Zion from Georgetown, the African-American congregation, had come to Bells, that was the name of this church, to worship together on her first Sunday only. Everybody was very clear about that. They weren't going to come together more than just this one time. As my friend Jauncey stepped up into the pulpit, The lay leader, and in a very structured, traditional Methodist church, that's like the person in charge. 
gets up from her chair and comes up and pushes her out of the pulpit. Significantly, like John C. sort of stumbles and steps back. And John C. just sort of looked at her and said, Sister so-and-so, I need to do, I need to lead worship this morning. This lady launched into a litany of why Jauncey should not stand in the pulpit of God because she's black. Jauncey said it was in that moment that she and sister so-and-so were talking that she learned how many secret service agents were a part of the church. Because, you see, it became a verbal altercation on the side of the woman and John C. just stood there and kept encouraging her to let them have the conversation later. The woman would have nothing of it. She kept pushing, took John C.'s things and threw them to the ground. She would not let her enter the pulpit of God because she was black. It still exists in our world. We act in the name of God and we act out of hatred and prejudice in lots of different ways. When your friends start telling you, well, the Bible says that we should do A, B, and C. Ask them, have you ever been disobedient to your parents? Have you ever rolled your eyes at your parents um, or been rebellious? Have you ever worked on a Sunday? If so, you too should be put to death. (laughs) It's a good icebreaker. (laughs) Seriously, we live in a world where we're divided over what it says in the scripture. I would encourage us all to read it through the eyes of Christ. Go in the peace and the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.